Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Is it off to McCaffrey? There he goes! It's a C-back attack! This is Desmond Johnson on the Believe and Carolina Panthers podcast. Here on the Believe Podcast Network the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available in your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on Twitter. And welcome into a brand new, spanking new edition of the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. I am Desmond Johnson, joined by Skylar Callahan from Sports Illustrated. Uh, Skylar, we got a lot to <laughs> dig into this week uh, regarding the Carolina Panthers, who lost 33-10 to to the Miami Dolphins on the road this past Sunday. Uh, before we get into the nuts and bolts of everything, I uh, wanted to talk first about one of our sponsors at Bet Online. They are back and better than ever. A new web interface for the rest of the NBA season and more props, on odds, and uh, lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head over to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today. Receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code BELIEVE50 to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. That is Bet Online, where the game starts. Panthers fall to five and seven on the season as they head as they slink into their bye week uh 33 to 10 is your final and uh that game that might have been the worst performance the panthers have laid out there this entire season skylar let's uh let's just dig right into it what were your initial uh thoughts um reporting on this game for sports illustrated you know i was really kind of at a loss for words i mean you know going into this game i felt like it was a very winnable game for for carolina but something deep down inside me was telling me to like be careful when you go to make your score prediction on this game because I mean Miami has been playing better football lately. Everyone forgets they beat the Ravens a few weeks ago on Thursday night. I mean it, it wasn't just a fluke. They played really well in that game. And it seems like Brian Flores gets his his team to play so much better in the late months of the season. I don't know what it is. I think I saw a stat yesterday that they're 16 and seven in the month of November under him or something like that. It's, wow. it's unreal. And that's, that's what you want. You want your team to play its best football at the right time of the season. Panthers on the other hand are going in the other direction, but there's a lot of reasons behind that. We all know why <laughs> they don't have yeah. a quarterback. They're, they're putting in a guy quarterback that was at his own house, eating a bowl of cereal two weeks ago before <laughs> the Panthers called him up. So <laughs> That's kind of where I sit with this. Um, it, it looked like a a team that had just brought in a quarterback out of nowhere and had no energy and had offensive line issues that we've known about for all, all season long. And when a team blitz blitzes you and gets after you like Miami does, that's kind of what you're going to see. And that's, that's what I was kind of leery about when I made my prediction. I picked the Panthers to win. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I kind of had a feeling deep down this whole time that something could go wrong and it could spiral out of control. What really kind of, I think, did it for me 
was to see how everything just unfolded so quickly. I mean, it was the block punt and, um, you know, the two interceptions short setting up a short field. It just seemed like the game, even though it wasn't necessarily out of hand at the half, it felt like it was a 30-point deficit. Yeah, I totally agree. Watching that game, it it felt like uh, it felt bad watching that game. Like it was just a horrible, horrible game. I can't count the number of times where Miami just simply played numbers against the offensive line. Like if there's five guys blocking, they'd send six, you know, or or they'd send seven or whatever it might be. And it was just like relentless. Um, there was a number of times, and we'll get to Cam Newton here in just a second, where. I would look up. The ball was snapped. As soon as it hits Cam Newton's hands, there's three Dolphins in the backfield. Yeah. like, And you're talking to a guy that just got into this playbook and has had all of five full practices at this point, and they're trying to open it up a little bit more for him. And it's it's not fair because uh, I'm starting to see the same Boo Birds come out again. It was, it's almost like some of the fan base was waiting for Cam Newton to fail just so they could point a finger and be like, ha, this is why he shouldn't be here. But in actuality, if you take a step away from it all, I'm not absolving Cam Newton from blame. The two interceptions he threw were inexcusable throws. He was throwing behind the receiver. Uh, it almost looked like uh, on the uh, the interception from uh, Xavier Howard, it almost looked like he baited Cam into the throw. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, like it, the way he was kind of playing off the receiver, then Cam throws the ball late anyway, and it goes right to Howard. And um, that, that was just kind of typical of the day. Meanwhile, I was actually surprised at how much the Panther defense was getting gashed. Uh, it felt like Tua Tagovailoa was just kind of like death by a thousand cuts. Uh, 27 for 31. He threw for 230 yards. Uh, he had a touchdown. No interceptions. Stayed clean. Um, it just felt like he was just keeping them out there. And it felt like the Carolina defense, I don't want to say that it felt like they were giving up, but they didn't play with the same intensity that we had seen the first, you know, five six games of the year it feels like the defense is playing worse gradually slowly each week so that by the time we get to the end of the year this defense isn't going to look like the way it did at the beginning of the year even though the parts are still the same and i'm trying to figure out what that is to me that's coaching that that all boils down to coaching something's going on where i don't know if there's a disconnect between the coaching staff and the players or the players just see what's going on with the quarterback room and everything else. And that initial shine of having Cam come back into the building is worn off. Or if they're just simply not good enough to do what we thought that they would be able to do this year. But the warts are starting to show and, and they're alarming um, in terms of not just this year, but looking ahead because the, the Panthers are locked in a couple of situations that are long term situations. And I'm not sure how to get out of it if they wanted to. Um, and so it makes everything all muddled in terms of what's going to happen next. And that's kind of why I left this game. Like, I guess it was a good week to have a bye week for us to kind of sit back and figure out what the hell we're doing. But I don't think there'll be any answers when we come back from the bye week. Like, it kind of is what it is at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, there, there's no fixing what what's already been broken. I mean, at this point in the year, you kind of are what your record says you are. There are five and seven team that has not – had a, a decent offensive line. They've hadn't had consistent play at quarterback. They've had, you know, certain injuries to certain places where they sh they can't have them, uh, like the offensive line. But I think defensively, especially just going back to this game against Miami, the yardage looks bad. The the to, to his completion percentage looks bad for Carolina's defense. Eighty seven percent. Eighty-seven percent. That's that's crazy. From Tua Tungavaloa. But listen, if you if you go back, 
And and I, I noticed this before Matt Rule pointed it out, and I'm glad he did because I'm actually going to use it for a quote, hmm. that if you go back and watch the first half, okay, the 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 offense couldn't do anything, right? They, they had two interceptions both in the on on the plus territory side of the field and one of them inside the tent. That set up the Panthers defense in a horrible situation. Now, yes, once that happens, you want your defense to just limit the damage and hold them to three. But when you're on the field so much and almost the entirety of the game, the, the Dolphins had time of possession won in this game by 15 minutes. That's a full wow. quarter. Wow. That so kind of up right there, really. It, and it yeah. felt that way too. It didn't feel like it felt like Carolina was a bunch of three and outs, like the it, whole it, day. It absolutely was. And and if you go back and and look, the first three or three of the first four drives for Miami were three and outs. So it's not like Carolina's defense wasn't doing anything. They they did move the ball in the first drive, they got a stop, and then I believe they had two or three straight three and outs. Miami's defense or offense really wasn't clicking until Carolina's offense put them in bad positions. And at that point, they were getting tired and they were worn down, which I think you kind of saw that frustration from, I think it was Brian Burns on the sideline in the second half. Mm -hmm. And he he understands that they can't control anything that the offense does. But when they are on the field, they have full control of that. They need to limit the damage, make it seven to three, or cut it down from seven points to three. Cut it from three to zero. You know what I mean? Just they have to limit that damage. But I think what I was telling you before the show is I think this this matchup just really didn't fit, I guess, or I guess sit well with Carolina because Miami's a a heavy RPO-based offense. About 80% of the things that they do are out of the RPO. A lot of it is because they can't run the football. They have a lot of trouble running the ball. So they have to to find a way to get people to kind of hesitate when they whenever they're either they're blitzing, they've got to figure out where to contain certain edges. They've got to get a little bit creative in the run game. So they use the RPO to do that. Well, when you use the RPO, now you're not having Hassan Reddick and Brian Burns coming straight after the quarterback. They've got to figure out: is he handing it off? Is he going to run it himself, or is he going to throw it? There's three mm-hmm. different things you can do. So I think that that played a big part in it. And it, I mean. Tua only had a few, I think, three big explosive plays or th- throws down the field. Other than that, it was a lot of dink and dunks. I talked to the uh, the Dolphins publisher at SI, and he said the same exact thing. He said that even though the numbers look like it, this wasn't the best that Tua has ever looked with Miami. It was just purely a lot of pitch and catch type of stuff. It was almost like uh, elongated handoffs, I guess you could say, because it kept the chains moving. It kept the ball out of Carolina's hands, even though, you know, the Panther offense wasn't helping. Like you said, they were giving the ball right back to Miami. And I'm sitting there looking at the box scores, and it, you're right. You know, if you look at the scores through the quarters, uh, it was 7-7 at the end of the first quarter. Miami got uh, two touchdowns in the second quarter, so it was 21-10 to 10 at the half. But it didn't feel like Miami was running away with the game or anything at that point. Uh, if, if actually Carolina uh, getting that, uh, a turnover right there at the very end of the second quarter and converting that into some points actually helped, uh, yeah. in my opinion. You know, it made me feel a little bit better about what I saw. I was like, hey, we're still kind of in this game. Miami's not like a juggernaut or anything. And then it was just like both teams bogged down in the second half, and uh, Miami just kicked four field goals, I mean, you know, in the third quarter and fourth quarter to get the final to 33-10. But at that point, the wheels had fallen off of uh, whatever Carolina was trying to do. 
uh, between Cam Newton and PJ Walker, they threw for 134 yards. Uh, both completed five passes each, um, <laughs> 10 for 31 uh, between the two of them as PJ came in in the fourth quarter. And I want to kind of stop right there again with the whole Cam Newton situation because people are like, well, his arm's falling off. He's not good, blah, blah, blah. I looked at Sunday, like he looked like he didn't know the playbook. That That's yeah. what it felt like to me. Like I, I didn't really question his arm strength or his ability to play quarterback in the league, any of that kind of stuff. He kind of answered those questions for me the week before. But this week, especially when McCaffrey got injured, it kind of exposed what he didn't know in the playbook. And I'm starting to look more towards the coaching staff, Uh, Joe Brady in particular, because I feel like the, I feel like the opposing defenses are catching up to what we do and that we're not changing anything. And it's become very easy for them to get back there. You add that on top of a, a fairly poor offensive line and pass blocking to begin with and offensive coordinator that seems to loathe running the football and you're just setting up whoever's back there at quarterback to have a bad day, whether it's Cam Newton, Sam Darnold, PJ Walker, doesn't really matter at this point. But I'm starting to question how Joe Brady got this wonder kid label off of one year's passing coordinator at LSU, because in the two years we've seen him here, he's had three different quarterbacks, Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, now Cam Newton. And I don't feel like his his playbook is elevating any of them. Teddy made it look good because he was completing it like 67% or 75% or something crazy for most of that year. Uh, but they didn't have McCaffrey for most of it. And then this year it just feels flat. Like it feels like they're not, they don't have an identity. Maybe that's the best way to put it. I have no idea how to describe the Panther offense. And this is two years in that's pretty alarming to me that I don't really know how to describe to somebody if they're like, Hey, what do the Panthers do on offense? I'm like, I, I I don't know. (laughs) Nothing. I, I don't know. I don't know what, are they a run team? No, they don't really run the ball enough for that. They rushed for 64 yards on Sunday. You know, and now I know McCaffrey got hurt in the second quarter, rolled his ankle. We'll get into that in a little bit as well, because uh, that news came out on Monday. Um, but they don't really commit to the run, even though rules talked about it the past three or four weeks that, you know, we need to run the ball more. They don't really do it. And then they're not good enough to be a passing team like like the Rams or the Chiefs or some way like that. So what the hell are they? Like, I don't think they know what they are. And until they figure that out, teams are just going to tee up against this uh, this offensive line and just go to work on whoever's back there. Well, not to to, to ruin uh, the uh, the whole offensive talk, but I do want to say something real quick about um, some news that just came in. I don't know if you've heard it yet, but Dante jo- uh, Jackson is now ruled out for the season. Oh, my gosh. No, I did not hear that. <laughs> what, what's wrong with Dante? So Dante Jackson suffered a groin injury late in the loss to Miami, had an MRI Monday afternoon, which revealed that the extent of the injury, he will be out for the remainder of the season. Wow. So uh, when it rains, it pours. And right now in Carolina, it is absolutely, I I would say one word, but let's just say peeing down rain. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we might as well use this time to talk about McCaffrey too. Uh, I mean, McCaffrey got ruled out. He got placed on injured reserve a second time this season, which rules him out for the, the rest of the regular season or the season, I should just say, uh, sprained his ankle. It was confusing because we were texting back and forth briefly yesterday, and I could have swore I saw earlier on during the, the Monday press conferences 
that Matt Rule said that McCaffrey's x-ray came back negative. And then like a couple hours later, it's like McCaffrey's out for the season. I'm like, what what happened? So I texted <laughs> you and you said you said something pretty uh, interesting to me. If you want to relay that out in terms of what you think is going on here. Like, do you think that the McCaffrey injury, because they didn't really say the severity of it. Uh, yeah. we, and they didn't even report it in the press box is my understanding on Sunday that he was hurt and he tried to come back in for a play in the uh, second half. And then they just kind of shut him down and he left in a walking boot, but they were all, they were playing down playing. Like it wasn't that serious. And now all of a sudden he's not available for the rest of the year. What do you think's going on? Well, see, this is, this is exactly what I told Desmond yesterday. And I don't know if it's true. I don't, I really don't. But if you go back and look at last year, this was kind of about that time where Carolina realized they weren't going to make the playoffs. They were still, you know, I would say maybe a few weeks later this year, but last year they were a couple of games under 500. I think they were maybe what, three and five, three and six or something. And at that point, yeah. it just kind of felt like, okay, maybe it's just better that we play for a better draft pick. Mm. And if you look at the Panthers record, they're five and seven right now. And they're, the last four games are not very easy. And there's a good chance that they could lose all four of those last games. I'd say. So yeah. <laughs> there may be one more win on the schedule, and I don't even know if that's possible at this point. The way that they've played the last few weeks, they could lose to Atlanta. Atlanta's yeah. not been bad. They've had some ups and some downs, just like Carolina. So you don't know what to expect in that game. So if they were to lose all five games, now you're sitting at a 5-12 and 12 record, and you have a top-10 pick, maybe even a top-5 pick. Um, so I, I think that – they're looking at this and saying, okay, you know what? We made the move for Stephon Gilmore. We made the move to bring Cam Newton back. We made the move for C.J. Henderson. But we're not quite there just yet. And now that we know we can't get there this year, they're they're being realistic. They're, they understand they're not going to get to the Super Bowl this year. They're yeah. going to be looking to get to the playoffs. And as I stated in my, my Monday Morning Thoughts article, I kind of referenced Jim Moore in the, the playoffs. I just want to win a game. Like, this, this, team, point, this team is not a playoff team. <laughs> no, they're not a playoff team. They're just trying to get better every single week right now. But I think right now they understand they're not going to – they don't have a chance. So yeah. why not shut McCaffrey down? And even if he was only going to miss two to three weeks, they're looking at it saying, ah, two to three weeks. Why don't we just – let's just move on. You know, let's just not play him the rest of the year. Maybe it'll give us a better draft pick. I don't know if teams really think like that. I have a hard time thinking that they do because they're all competitors. Yeah, but I've always been on that stance too, where it's like it's easier to to quote unquote tank in like the NBA, where it's like five guys out there at a time, and you can literally manipulate the roster to just not be good to be able to to flip it. And it doesn't take very long to rebuild in the NBA either. I think the NFL is the hardest to tank in because you're you're basically having to to do it with 52 guys without telling 52 professionals that you're tanking, like you're not trying to win. Because if, if you tell an NFL player that, you know, hey, we don't want to win this game. We just, you know, want to get out here and play. That's when injuries happen. Uh, that's when guys check out. You know, they're not concentrating on what they're supposed to do. I just feel like it kind of goes against the nature of football itself. Like, I don't know how you would go about tanking in a football game, but uh, we've seen – front offices manipulate the situation to the point where they're coming into every game outgunned. Now that they're, they're like, you know, if we win, we win, but we're kind of expecting to lose. I could see that playing out here. Uh, but that doesn't really go along with the vibe I get from David Tepper. Like it, I don't really, it doesn't seem like he's the type that would 
sign off on something like that. It's almost like the coaches and GM would have to do it behind his back. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, that, that is true, but you think also David Tepper is is a is a very business man, and I, and I think that it, it may be a little different for him, but it could also be the same thing in that you know business people they they understand when they're losing money or things aren't going their way, it's better to just cut your losses now before it gets worse, right? So that could be a thing where David Tepper's going to like, I don't think he has much of a, a say in what they're going to do in terms of, eh, let's just put McCaffrey out for the, the year. But I think he's not going to step in and say, well, uh, let's continue to fight because I think he understands at this point in the year, you're five and seven. The, the chance of you making the playoffs is very low. I, I just don't know. And, and now that Dante Jackson's out for the year, it just, Things yeah. are just not adding up to be very, you know, favorable for Carolina. But going back to what you were originally saying with the defense, and I didn't mean to – or the offense, I'm sorry, but uh, didn't mean to go in a whole different direction. Oh, no, 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 you're fine. With the offense, I 100% agree. Joe Brady has not shown us anything. He ha- He just hasn't. I know Sam Darnold has not been good. Cam Newton, you know, is what it is at this point. And Teddy Bridgewater was what Teddy Bridgewater was. Teddy was just average to me. He, he was he he's had average quarterback play, and I can't really pin that on Joe Brady because he just hasn't had that quarterback. But at the same time, you have to be able to make do with what you got, and he hasn't done that. I mean, for example, look at at Washington. Taylor Heineke is not like you know the he's not Josh Allen. He's not you know Lamar Jackson. He's not Patrick Mahomes, but He's they're making it work with him. He he came into the year as the third string quarterback. They had Ryan Fitzpatrick as the starter until he got hurt. So I, I just don't think that you can, you know, say, oh, he's got average quarterback play. No, there's a lot of teams out there that don't have good quarterback play and are still finding ways to win games or at least looking like a a competent offense. Would, would you say that, uh, and not just Joe Brady, but the the whole team, the coaching staff, they have problems adjusting on the fly. It feels like it feels like they don't know what to do when a team throws a punch at them, like the Miami game. You know, it's almost like they didn't expect Miami to blitz the way that they did, and then once they started, they never adjusted to to to, to help out. You know what I mean? Like they didn't leave a guy back to help block. They didn't they didn't do anything of that sort. In fact, they kind of started leading into it. Putting Cam in situations where he's throwing into a blitz and he barely knows the playbook, so he's throwing behind guys. It's like Miami baited him the whole day, and it felt like Miami had tape on him from like last year. They did play him twice when he was in New England, and just picked up tendencies that Cam had, and maybe some of that stuff would come through with a limited playbook, and it and it worked. But I was more alarmed that we never adjusted. We never adjust. We're the worst third quarter team, maybe ever. Like we never. I don't know what they're talking about at halftime, but they come out and they're so flat. They've been like this every single game this year. They have not had a third quarter this year where I'm like, okay, somebody got in them at halftime and they're they're they've reset. It's usually they're doing the same stuff, and I can't figure it out. And uh, I think the shine is wearing off on Joe Brady a little bit here because if you look at the two offenses he's had last year and this year here, they were middle of the road offenses. You know, scoring like 23 points a game. Uh, you know, ranked like 18th or something like that. Nothing that's going to make you go, oh, man, this dude's the next guy up. He's going to be the next uh, young head coach or whatever. I don't think his name has popped. Well, I don't think he said he wanted to go back to college or anything, but with all these college openings that's popped up, I haven't seen his name 
on any of them uh, or, or really head coaching gigs in the NFL for next year. I haven't really seen his name pop up either. And it's kind of his own doing like this offense should be way more creative. Like it should look like the Rams offense, to be honest, like the way McVay kind of schemes to get guys open and they kind of do new creative things. I don't see any of that uh, in this Panther offense whatsoever. No, I mean, I think you sometimes there's players that make a coach and sometimes there are coaches that make a player. And I think sometimes when you when you kind of look at the, the grand scheme of things with Joe Brady, it's almost like a host of players kind of mm-hmm. made Joe Brady. I mean, you got to think he's still a young coach. He's only 30, what, 32, 33 years old. So he's he doesn't have a ton of experience, number one. And number two, he still has a lot to learn. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like he's been in this profession for years and has the answers to every problem. And I think that's the thing with him that he's got to – he's just – it's just going to take time with him. And I, and I think for Carolina, they don't have time. You know what I mean? Like, Matt Rule wants to win, and he wants to win now. So, I believe in Matt Rule's best interest this offseason, he needs to have a sit-down with Joe Brady. And whether that means he fires him or just – delegates into a different part of the offense, something has to change. And I, I don't know if that means bringing a new play caller or or just changing philosophy. I don't know, but I think it's going to end up coming to a point where Joe Brady is no longer the offensive coordinator of the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, I think – and it might be end of the season at this point. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe they keep him in there and, and they try to do some different things. But I always thought it was odd when they hired him uh, and, and knowing that he didn't really do anything with the run game at LSU. I don't know exactly what the passing coordinator is, but he kind of had something similar with the Saints. And it felt like, you know, with the Saints, you got Drew Brees, you know, a top five all-time quarterback running this offense. So he's going to make it look good. At LSU, you've got, uh, you know, talent all over the place on offense, like first rounders at every position it felt like. It was going to be really hard to kind of screw that up. And, and you had a run game, you know, with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And, uh, and others, that LSU offense is an uh, all-time offensive unit. But was it because of the play calling or was it because of the sheer amount of talent that they had? Uh, they had know, a lot of talent. A lot. <laughs> like, you look back on the people that were on that team, uh, people forget about guys like like Thaddeus Moss at tight end. You know, Randy Moss's kid who didn't – I think he got drafted mid-rounds. I don't even think he's in the league right now. Uh, but he was on that team at tight end. You know, uh, Edward Tiller at running back. Justin Jefferson at uh at wide receiver. Harris Marshall was the fourth receiver on that. Yeah, <laughs> it's just one. So like, so maybe Joe kind of uh, rode the coattails of that historic LSU offense, and people think it. Well, he worked with Sean Payton, so he must know what he's doing, and he rode that to this. But now this is exposing the fact that his offense isn't that creative at all. In fact, I think defenses are figuring out what to do with it. Add in a, a horrific offensive line. And it's just a recipe for disaster. Now, they are going into the bye week. So this will be the week, not this uh, Sunday, but next Sunday when they play Atlanta. That's going to be the week when I really evaluate Cam Newton. Like when I'm like, okay, you've, yeah. now you've had, you know, this would be week four that you've been in this. Uh, so you've had about four weeks to, to get in this playbook. You're still not going to know the whole thing, but you should know a pretty good amount of it in four weeks and four weeks of practices and them crafting something for you. They can't really do what I wanted them to do, which was a, a a bunch of RPO with McCaffrey. But you know, McCaffrey's out with the injury, so that can't happen either. Um, 
We're going to get into our rants here in just a bit before we get out of here. Before we do that, I uh, need to take time to say a word about Lightbox. Say goodbye to dull gifts. Lightbox lamp-grown diamonds are the brightest gift of the year. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, they've cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds you can find at a light price, $800 per carat. They have the same chemical makeup of natural diamonds, but are grown in a lab. Because of their process, they can create stones in bluish and blush pink and beautiful blue as well as classic white Lightbox lab grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off price so they won't have to they really do make any outfit sparkle visit lightboxjewelry.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping that's lightboxjewelry.com lightbox diamonds never a dull moment the panthers are off this week they have their buy much needed really late in the season here in week 13 uh when they return they will face the atlanta falcons uh, like you mentioned, Skylar, the, the schedule's not exactly easy. Um, going forward, they've got Atlanta, they got Tampa twice, and the Saints, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I don't think I left anybody out of that. Uh, I think that was, I think that was everybody um, that they have coming up here. <clears throat> you, um, we we talked about this uh, before we came on that we both kind of had like some issues with uh, some things after that game was over. I'm gonna let you go first uh, <laughs> in terms of what you want to. Uh, go in on we'll just label this our ranting part of the uh of the podcast i think we were both were just kind of at a point where we're like what the hell are we doing carolina like what's going on here and you mentioned you had something you wanted to, to touch on that uh might not be as apparent as uh it should be yeah so my biggest thing and i've i've said this i feel like every single week going back to last year every fan that has called for matt rule's head is completely in over their own head at this point. And I'm not saying that you can't have an opinion about what the Panthers should do. I'm not saying that that things should be questioned because obviously when you have these records that they've had the last two years, something isn't working, something needs to change. I don't think it goes to the point where you fire Matt Rule a year and a half in or a little over a year and a half into a seven-year contract. When Ron Rivera took over the job in, what was it, 2011? Yeah. Okay. His first two seasons, you know what the record was? Six and 10 and seven and nine. Do you know what he had in those two seasons? Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. A young Cam Newton, but he had Cam Newton. He had, he had the quarterback of the future. Matt Rule has had, what, five, four quarterbacks in a year and a half? Teddy, yeah, Teddy, Sam, PJ's plate was started a game. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so <laughs> I guess maybe three, three or four quarterbacks. But they went five and 11 with a team that should have never went five and 11. Well, I mean, that's just, that's just the straight facts. You go to this year, I think getting out to that three no start kind of fooled everybody. But when you look back at the schedule, I mean, the Jets, the Texans, Okay, you got one with the Saints, but it was an easy start at the schedule. If that if that four-game stretch at the end of the season was at the beginning of the season, would we have kind of tampered those expectations? I think so. Mm-hmm. So when you look at it so far, I think a lot of fans are just so quick to say Matt Rule is the problem. But I don't think that's the case. I mean, clearly the dude knows football. He coaches – he coaches teams up to to get the most out of them. He's rebuilt at Temple. He's rebuilt at Baylor. And I don't care if it's at the college level or not. People say, oh, he needs to go back to college. At the end of the day, football is football. Like, 
they're talking the same stuff in college that they are in the NFL. It's just at a, a little bit higher level, but it's it, it's what they do full time in the NFL compared to having to worry about kids going to classes and all that other stuff. At the end of the day, football is football. It's not like Matt Rule never had NFL experience before he got this job. He was with the New York Giants. He's had mentors in this game that he has talked about several, several times. And one of them being Jimmy Johnson. So I don't think that Matt Rule is the problem. And I and the and the one thing that I'm on here really to say is I'm sick and tired of seeing the fans every single press conference or every single article after a game saying fire Matt Rule. Hmm. Let's not let's be honest. These these folks that are saying this now were the ones saying it when they lost to the freaking Las Vegas Raiders in the first game of the season last year. Yeah. So they've been saying ever since because they never liked Matt Rule because he replaced Ron Rivera. They never liked Matt Rule because they got rid of Cam Newton. They never liked Matt Rule because they got rid of all those other guys that were a part of that team. That's just the, the, the R of it all. Like, Matt Rule just doesn't sit well with them for certain reasons. They didn't like him when they lost to the Raiders, and they thought ever since then he's been a terrible coach and he needs to go back to college. No. Give this man time. It's a young team. People will say, well, look at the penalties. That shows they're not a disciplined team. Yes, but they are what? A young team. That's what young, team, young teams do. They have penalties. They don't understand because they're still inexperienced. When you go back to the quarterback situation, you say, oh, well, Sam, they, they wanted to go get Sam Darnold. They, they went out and tried to get Teddy Bridgewater. But look at those options, the, the other options that they had. They really didn't want to go with Teddy Bridgewater again. They tried to get Matthew Stafford, but what did Matthew Stafford t- tell the Carolina? No. Yeah. You know why? Because they're a young team. <laughs> like, and they, had a, they had a better deal on the table for Stafford, apparently. Exactly. Too. They had a better deal for Matthew Stafford for Detroit than L.A. did. But Matthew Stafford told Detroit, I don't want to go to Carolina because they're not where they want to be yet. They're a young team. He doesn't want to wait for this team to grow three to four years and then maybe get into Super Bowl contention. He wants to be there now, which is why he went to L.A. But this is my whole story about this. This team is young. This coaching staff is young. What I think Matt Rule is going to do in this offseason is he's going to – I think he's eventually at some point going to part ways with Joe Brady. He's going to bring in a veteran NFL offensive coordinator. I don't know who that would be, but – I think he's going to bring in someone that has experience, that has some of the answers to some of their problems. They're going to go get their quarterback. They're going to retool the offensive line. And then come this time next year, they're going to be competing for a spot in the playoffs. And everyone's going to say, ah, maybe we should have just waited and, and reserve judgment for Matt Rule. Because as I've stated before, I'm not sold on Matt Rule, although it sounds like it, I'm because I'm, uh, I'm defending him in a sense. But it's way too dang early to tell if he is the answer or if he's not. A year and a half in is just way too short for me. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm kind of glad we do this on Tuesdays instead of Mondays because my emotional reaction would have been the same thing: pitchfork, fire mat rule, clear them all out, blah blah. blah. You know what I mean? Because it was just like the stench of the game was still kind of there. Having that Monday for us to kind of calm down before we come in and do Tuesday's podcast, it's kind of helped. I know it's helped me this season. Uh, be more rational on these episodes i you know i was on the whole we need to we need to start questioning matt rule tip on sunday and i'm still there we yeah need to question absolutely matt rule what he's doing uh and now i've told people you know look matt rules on the hook for or 
David Tepper's on the hook for $42.5 million for, uh, for rule after this season. He's still on for another five years. He's not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, I would think that Tepper's going to give him a chance to fix this, uh, which is why he gave him seven years to begin with. If he wasn't that sure about him, he wouldn't have gave him a seven-year deal that all the other owners poo-pooed at the time because they were like, this is nuts. Why are you giving this guy seven years, $65 million, and he's never been a head coach in the NFL? And Tepper was like, I'm a billionaire. I'll do what I want, you know, pretty much. Uh, and right so, then and there, that that would tell you that Tepper knew it was going to take time. Right, because they had to literally – I mean, people kind of forget what they did here. They literally reset the defensive side of the football. Like, they cleared the entire roster out other than, like, Shaq Thompson. Everything else has got cleared out pretty much, and they've tried to rebuild it in two drafts. Uh, the offense, they, they, they wanted Deshaun Watson at the end of last year before all the – stuff started happening with them. That was going to be their play. They were going to get rid of Teddy Bridgewater, bring in Deshaun Watson, have a healthy Christian McCaffrey, and basically use another draft on defense and kind of play that game. And then the following year, I, I believe the plan would have been to finally fortify the offensive line. And, you know, now you've got a playoff team in year three. The problem is they they probably should never let Cam Newton go in the first place because now they've spent $60 million on a carousel of, uh, you know, Cam and Teddy and Sam now back to Cam, and then you gave Cam ten million dollars <laughs> on top of it for a team where it sounds like you're you're kind of shutting it down. That part's confusing to me too. Like, why did they give Cam so much money? Although, uh, actually, let me let me pause on that for a second because really, the number that's getting reported is the ten million dollars, but that wasn't guaranteed. The guaranteed part's only like four million or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, I'd imagine it's incentive based. If they're doing things like shutting McCaffrey down and not even having Terrence Marshall available to play and stuff like that, then actually they're probably going to save money on the cam deal too, because he's not gonna be able to get to the incentive part of the deal, if that makes any sense. So um, I'd say all this because I, I'm not at the point where I want them to fire Matt rule. I completely agree with you hundred percent that he hasn't even had two full seasons to really get through this. And this first season he had was COVID. So, I mean, you're dealing with a guy that came in an unprecedented situation, and I'm not trying to excuse the team or how they look or anything like that because that does come back to coaching to a certain extent. I'm kind of curious to see, after the bye, has this team given up on Matt Rule? Because that's that's different. Like, if the team has given up and he's not reaching them anymore, then you do kind of have to sit there and, and have that conversation of, well, do we let him go early? Do we do this? Do we do that? Uh, I, just, I just don't see David Tepper letting him go before he reaches at least the halfway part of his contract. And by then, in year three or four, if they're still spinning their tires like this, then you can Absolutely. kind of say, yeah, you know, we got to do something, get them out of here, and I'll eat the $25 million or whatever it is left over on this contract. But as it stands right now, uh, I, th I think a lot of it goes back to them not landing Deshaun Watson. Like, a lot of it goes to that. They put all their chips in on trying to get him. That blew up when the Watson stuff started happening. And they, they panicked and went for Sam Darnold instead of uh, Mac Jones or Justin Fields in the draft, which in hindsight, maybe they should have did that. It would have avoided them re-signing Cam. And it's just a lot of hindsight, like looking back on things they've done. It's like, why did you do that? <laughs> why did you do that? But it's like months later. So there's no way to really know that it was the right or wrong decision until after the fact. They just had bad luck. Bad luck with a lot of the stuff that they've been trying to do. And... I'm not sure if that's going to change uh, during the season here. You know, like I don't, I don't see anything different that's going to happen unless all of a sudden 
Joe Brady just starts calling some craziness on offense. But uh, I don't see that happening either. I don't know if Joe Brady would get demoted this year either if the goal is to kind of just keep the status quo. I don't know. It's a big mess right now. I'm not really sure what to what to say <laughs> going forward for the Panthers. I'm not really sure what they're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, I think for for Panthers fans that again that feel like Matt rules the issue, you have to look at the grand scheme of things. Like I've said, until you have a quarterback, I, it doesn't matter who is coaching you. It doesn't matter at all. I does if the Panthers had Bill Belichick right now, is he going to lead this team to the playoffs? No. No. In fact, there's a good prime example. We had Cam Newton last year. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's just no way to get this team or to get fans to understand, like, Matt Rule is not the issue. If you have a quarterback, okay, and you bring him in, say you get get a Deshaun Watson, and you're still in the same kind of boat, you're stuck in neutral, then, yeah, you, you should probably move on. Um, but you got to look at, at what Matt Rule walked into too, because like you said, they had a complete overhaul of the roster. It's not like Matt Rule stepped into this job. Like um, I'm trying to think of somebody. Jeez, um, I don't even know. Like, like a, let's say a Kevin Stefanski. Okay, yeah. Kevin Stefanski walks into Cleveland. He's already got Baker Mayfield. He's got the best run, one of the top running backs in football, Nick Chubb. He's got a fairly solid defense. That that team was built to win the moment he took that job. Right. Now they hadn't shown it yet, but they were already built. So I think when you look at Carolina, when Matt Rule came in, they didn't even know who's going to be lining up under center. They didn't even have a defense. They had nine of their eleven starters. They let go. He hadn't even but, met the team in person exactly. until like like July or something crazy like that. So uh, yeah, I, I mean. I totally agree. Like this whole fire mat rule thing, we need to pump the brakes on that a little bit. But I, I wanted to get to this before we got out of here, though, because it is something that we do need to address regarding Christian McCaffrey, uh, because it goes along with this, too. You know, McCaffrey has only been available for 10 games out of the possible 33 that he could have played in since he signed that extension in 2020 uh, before the season began. And in an attempt to make him the face of the franchise, he's only been available for 10 games. It's been, if I'm not mistaken, four separate injuries to four different parts of his body now since 2020. Has he crossed over in the injury-prone category? Because I am I was one of the ones who were like, eh, you can't call him injury-prone when he wasn't hurt before all this. And right. then the other one was just like one elongated type of thing. Plus, they held him out at the end of last year when he probably could have came back. So I'm like, eh, I don't know if he's injury-prone. And then he gets the hamstring this year. And then he, now he's got the ankle. And he's been on IR four separate times in the past two years. Is, are we there? Are we there? Yeah. <laughs> With McCaffrey and the, the label injury prone, because I think we are. I think we've tippy-toed into it, and those of us that were defending him, now we just kind of throwing our hands up like, I I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point you have to think that. And I, I, I still don't, as bad as the deal looks right now, I still don't blame them for 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 doing it because at the time he had never missed a game. Like right. he had shown his he, that he is a durable player. He did it in college. He only missed one game during his entire college career and missed zero until he signed the contract. So he showed that he had durability. And when you're paying a guy, or when you have a guy that went over a thousand yards receiving and a thousand yards rushing in one season, 
for only $64 million over four years, to me, that was a bargain. Oh, I'm, yeah. Because you're paying for a starting receiver, essentially. A, starting rece- Some starting receivers don't even put up that number, that type of mm-hmm. those numbers. So you're getting a starting receiver and a starting running back in one. I thought that was a, a, honestly a bargain. We've seen that's the, ar- that's the argument I use. That's the argument I use on social media. It feels like daily. People are like, ah, oh, we shouldn't have gave him that money. And I'm like, it's like 12 million a year for a guy that when he's out there is a top five player in the oh, entire yeah. league to me. You know, th- th- like they got away with a bargain. Like normally, normally teams, normally what happens is like teams have to extend a running back when they when they've reached the end of that first deal. And at that point, they're 24, 25. So you're betting that they're gonna get better in the second part of their career running backs typically last two, three years in the NFL to begin with on average. So uh, I had no problems. I'm like, if you're going to give him the money, give it to him now. Like while he's good, I'd rather pay him now while we're getting production instead of as he's declining. What I didn't know was going to happen. And of course needed the Panthers was that as soon as he got the bag, he dropped it on his foot or back or hamstring <laughs> or, <laughs> or whatever else that shoulder. And he just, I feel bad for him because he's a baller. Like he's a guy yeah. that, you want out there it makes me wonder when they bring him back would it be better maybe to draft a, a, a running back and maybe move McCaffrey to slot like a wide receiver is that even something possible that, that could be um I've never really thought of that but I, I mean that that definitely could be a, a, a scenario for him I, I, th- I here's what I think the Panthers should do is in the offseason they need a quarterback we all know this yeah I think you're going to have to dangle McCaffrey's name into some trade talks if you really, really want to lure in a Deshaun Watson or maybe an Aaron Rodgers, maybe a Russell Wilson. I don't know. I think you're going to have to throw McCaffrey's name out there in a trade to get that type of player. And I still think even with the injuries, some teams are still going to be like, yeah, we would love to have him. So I think Carolina, they're they're to the point now, if I if I were Scott Fitter, I, I would – include him in a trade because I don't trust him to stay healthy. I don't want to pay him that much money. And we've kind of seen already Chuba Hubbard seems like a capable back. Amir Abdullah seems like capable back. And if they can do it by committee, that's what half the NFL does anyway. I mean, there's only a handful of teams where you have a feature elite back that just kind of carries the whole load in the backfield, like a Derrick Henry or Alvin, or, you know, Dalvin Cook or Alvin Kamara. There's only a handful of those guys. The rest of the league has two to three guys running the show. So I think Carolina should do that, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if they if they hang on to him. I really, really don't. Uh, yeah, I don't think they want to get rid of him. I think they really want to see if they can find a place to put him. I mean, they kept saying – Matt Rule kept saying they were going to limit his touches and stuff like that, but as soon as he was able to go, it's kind of hard to do it. Uh, Rivera went through the same thing where they wanted to limit his touches. They wanted to limit Cam's runs. And then it, it just starts working. And you just keep, you know, feeding the fire with it. Um, I would like to see them move him to almost like a role like Curtis Samuel was playing last year, almost like a flanker, like old school kind of hybrid type role where maybe the majority of his snaps are at wide receiver. Uh, you know, maybe he gets like 10 carries a game at running back, something like that. But I think he could be a problem in the slot. I think he would be the number one slot receiver in the whole league. Like if they moved him there tomorrow, like he would be the number one slot wide receiver in the league, unless you want to count Tyree kill as a slot receiver. I don't really count him as a slot, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, he could be kind of that role. He could be Tyreek Hill pretty much uh, lined up against a poor safety or linebacker and a miss. You know what I mean? Like be creative instead of putting him in the same uh, round hole. And he's a square peg. 
do something with he, clearly he's talented but clearly running him 25 times at running back and then throwing it to him 10 times a game that's not going to work you've proven that over the past two years that it's going to eventually get him run down and hurt so let's still take advantage of the talent we have with him stick him out there at wide receiver for more snaps as the third the slot guy with him dj moore and robbie anderson or terrence marsh whatever the combination is going to be at the end that's a pretty potent attack to me and then you got him out there on the field so you can do crazy things like he lines up at slot you have some some formation movement and all of a sudden he's in the backfield and then you do an rpo off of that you know and like it just you can do all kinds of things with him out there and i think they never got to that point with him and cam to start doing that because they really wanted him to be a running back and I think that's going to be the main question that they they approach him with. And honestly, that'll come down to the offensive coordinator that comes in here if they do something with Joe Brady. It, I think it has to be somebody creative that can come in and go, hey, let's think about doing things different with McCaffrey instead of just lining him up in affirmation and running the ball with him. Let's do some things to extend his career. You know, let's do some things that still benefit us and makes the offense more explosive because you don't know where he is. Like you have to you have to scheme for wherever he's at which is what people do now, but you kind of know where he's going to be. If they do something like that, I think that would help a lot with the perception of uh, McCaffrey. But yeah, as it stands right now, with four different types of injuries, four different body parts over two years, I think it's safe to say that he's entering that injury-prone uh, territory, and I hope that he doesn't stay there. But we'll uh, we'll see. We'll have a, um, a bi-week edition of uh, Believe in Panthers next week. Maybe we'll bring on a guest or somebody, uh, do like a roundtable or something, since it'll be a bi-week. Uh, we'll look into that but uh we're at the end of our time here you can find skyler's work online you can follow him on twitter at callahan underscore uh he's the beat writer for the carolina panthers for sports illustrated you can find my work at uh tobacco road sports radio.com you can find me online at dez underscore three five zero five um we will be back next week with that bye week edition but uh our panthers struggling limping into the bye week five and seven we'll see if they can do something to keep us entertained over the last month of the season But uh, we'll be back here on the Believe Podcast Network with you next week with a brand new episode. Keep pounding. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.